If we asked you for your definition of success, what would you say? For us, it's simple. Success is unique to each and every one of us. Welcome to The Success Revolution, the podcast that's changing the way we talk and think about success. We're The Step Up Club. I'm Alice. And I'm Fenella. And we're on a mission to get every single one of you feeling successful, no matter what that success looks like to you. In today's episode, we speak to broadcaster Edith Bowman, BBC stalwart and creator of the award-winning soundtracking podcast. You can't help but be drawn to Edith's straight-talking humour and honest insights into what it's really like to be a woman in radio and TV. She gives great tips on how to get into the industry, tells us how she bounces back from public failures, and even helps us learn how to take control of our own careers. Alice, Edith was totally amazing and yes. magnetic. What did you think about her definition of success? I thought her definition of success had obviously evolved over time. I was interested to talk to her about what it's like being a pawn in the game of radio presenting and how she has ultimately taken control of her career via her soundtracking podcast, which obviously she talks about with such passion and you can just see that she seems to be in a new sphere and that she says in the interview that she feared turning 40 and what that would mean for her career which I suppose is the type of industry that is defined in part by youth or dominated by youth and that actually she's found this new direction in the space that she feels very comfortable and she just she's just you just can't help but smile when you listen to her she's just got a kind of passion I think it's infectious. Yeah, when we said goodbye to her, Alice afterwards said, you know, she's just totally magnetic. And mm. it's true. And I mean, I suppose that's one of the reasons for her incredible success. What I thought was really inspiring was her resilience, which she talked about growing through her career. But I actually think that as she told us the story, which you're about to hear, of her early career and how she got into radio, you know, lots of people want to get into radio, lots of people want to get into TV. It's not an easy thing to do. And she was incredibly tenacious and actually quite bold and brazen in a brilliant way about just putting herself forward. She went to a radio station, she just showed up there all the time until they gave her a show. She piloted a show, they gave her a show. When she left, she was like, give me a show. They said no, she went to London and she bloody well got a show. And I think that we can all learn a lot from that in terms of just putting ourselves out there a little bit more because it obviously pays off. Mm, she's also a real advocate for women. She said that her mum is one of seven sisters and that they all grew up together in a hotel that the family ran and that the women ruled the roost and I think that's probably stuck with her in terms of prioritising herself and not being daunted by an industry that she still describes behind the scenes as being very male dominated. It's a brilliant listen, we're really proud of it and she also made me really want to wear glasses. <laughs> so we can't wait for you to listen to it and enjoy the interview with Edith. As you know, the Success Revolution has decided not to take a sponsor and rather to dedicate each episode of our podcast to a charity of our guest's choice. And this time, Edith Bowman has decided to dedicate her episode to the incredible charity Future Dreams. Future Dreams is a breast cancer charity that helps build awareness around breast cancer and also offers incredible and unique support for women and families going through this journey. It's a charity that Fenella and I have worked for already and feel incredibly passionately about. And if you'd like to know more about what Future Dreams does or to donate, please visit their website at futuredreams.org.uk. Edith Bowman has been a vital part of British television and radio for nearly 20 years now. 
and she has accumulated a unique and brilliant broadcasting career. On the radio, she has hosted shows on pretty much every BBC radio station, including Radio 1's afternoon show and Saturday mornings on BBC Radio 6. Edith also became the first and still only solo female commercial radio breakfast show host when she started anchoring Virgin Radio's breakfast in 2016. On screen, after debuting as a newsreader on MTV UK and ignoring advice to get elocution lessons to tone down her Scottish accent, Edith continues to make an indelible mark fronting television shows on Glastonbury, of course, The Royal Wedding and a brilliant documentary on songs to have sex to. She has found a permanent home as part of the extended BAFTA family and has also written and presented shows for Sky Arts and BBC America. For the past 18 months, Edith has presented Soundtracking, her weekly award-winning podcast in which she interviews all sorts of film creatives on their musical influences. Soundtracking guests have included Bradley Cooper, Sofia Coppola, Guy Ritchie, Steve McQueen and MIA. In the past year, it has won two Arias, Best Presenter, Best Specialist Music Show, and was also nominated for two Lovey Awards. When she isn't broadcasting or being a podcasting pioneer, Edith is mum to her two sons, Rudy and Spike. Edith, it is no exaggeration to say that we are absolutely thrilled to welcome you on to the Success Revolution. Thank you for coming in to chat. Thanks so much. It's really embarrassing here. Everyone that. always says so that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Just for people who are listening, not watching, Edith had to hide her face. I put my fingers in her ears. <laughs> So as you know, the success revolution is all about our individual definitions of success. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about your definition of success now and how it's changed over time? Yeah, definitely. I think probably when I started out doing TV and radio, I would definitely categorise my success on how often I was on the telly or how often I was on the radio and all that kind of stuff. But it's become more of a personal thing now. And I definitely rate success for me, based on my balance in life, I think, you know, because success is not just about career, success is about relationships, it's about being a mum for me, but it's also about challenging myself as well. So I think that there are so many different avenues that lead to that thing of, am I being successful right now? And a lot of that has moved away from how many shows I host or present, how many people watch them, how much I get paid, all that kind of stuff, to being more about being happy and content with what I'm doing, I guess. So, yeah, big shift, I would say. Become less fickle, maybe. <laughs> when we were doing our research on you, and I suppose just being aware of how radio shows work and stuff it seems from the outside looking in that you don't have that much control like it seems like there are people above who are mo literally moving oh, you totally. around and I'm just interested to know how that felt yeah. to be that kind of pawn in a way yeah, yeah, yeah. and how that affected your definition of success today yeah I think that weirdly on the way here I've got a couple of meetings over the next couple of weeks that potentially could lead to really exciting things for me and it's kind of you know I'm in my 40s and I feel like I'm at a, a really exciting time where there's a lot of things potentially on the horizon and I if you'd asked me that 10 years ago I probably would have been really concerned about entering my 40s and what that meant in terms of my career because I think there's a perception about oh older women when they get to a certain age their opportunities are diminished now I would say 
that was more relevant to radio rather than TV, definitely, for me. And it's more in terms of well, the radio that I was involved in. It's definitely changed now when you look at, you know, Coxie and mm-hmm. Zoe and Joe getting major shows on BBC Two, quite rightly. But with Radio 1, Radio 1's got a kind of a faster and quicker turnaround, I guess. And I felt a real pressure, particularly after I had my first kid, of feeling the fear of the guillotine coming any point, do you know what I mean? What were you doing? What were you presenting when you first became a mum? I was doing a show with Colin when I first had Rudy. And then Colin left actually to go. He wanted to do more specialists, so he left. So I assumed that that would mean that I would be taken off and hopefully given another show. But my boss at the time was like, no, 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 I want you to do the show. We just need to find out what your thing is. And thankfully, you know, after various kind of discussions, I was like, please, can it be filmed? And that's led on to some amazing opportunities. But yeah, and I did the show on my own after that point. And so that kind of quelched those kind of fears, I guess. But it was always in the back of my head that, you know, you've got a sort of shorter expiry date at Radio 1, I think, more so than any other station. And then, yeah, then I got moved off daytime. And I still remember getting called in for the meeting and thinking that I was going to be moved on to a specific show that my boss knew that it was the one that I wanted from the start and being told by him that I was getting moved to weekends, which was a massive blow. And it's hard because you take it personally. And it took me a long time to, I guess, heal the wounds from that. But it's all helped and it's all be necessary I think to carve the way both in terms of what I've ended up doing but also in terms of providing me with a thicker skin providing me with the kind of foundations of accepting decisions are made that are not about you personally are made for a bigger reason you know my mum's got this saying what's meant for you won't pass you by and sometimes you're told no or you say no to be able to say yes or be told yes about something else it's interesting because we talk about that a lot, mm-hmm. the, the power of saying no and the idea that understanding what success means to you, really the point of it is allowing you to know whether you should say yes or no. Totally. And for me, I'm just thinking about it more as we talk about it, success for me is doing the things I want to do. Mm-hmm. It's not about how many people listen to it, how many people watch it or how much money I'm making for it. I mean, not a penny for my podcast for the first year of it because we made that decision to not take any advertising on it or sponsorship because we wanted to build it and build trust with people. So for me, success is about doing the projects that I am really passionate about. It's interesting because now we have slightly different careers, but historically I was a journalist and so took a kind of probably view a bit like you at the beginning of your career that you take the creativity over the money. How did you reason that in yourself? Like, did you get enough intellectual and creative stimulation to offset the lack of earnings in that industry or was that not the case for you? Would you mean now or do you mean No, when you started off. When I started off, I didn't have anything to compare it to, you know, so it was a case of... When I first started at somewhere like MTV, it was ridiculous. It was kind of, you know, I was earning a really great wage, but I had nothing but myself to spend it on back then. Do you know what I mean? And I remember at the time, my friend who's still one of my dear friends, Charlie, was my stylist. And we would be given like an envelope of cash to go and spend on clothes. Oh, for, so nothing like my For, <laughs> for, uh, for, um, Damn, you I know, for MTV <laughs> days. But that was kind of like... It was like getting pocket money to be on telly. It was hilarious. And I had a great time, you know, and I, there's a lot of that period that I can't remember because I was probably too drunk to remember a lot of the things that we did and celebrated on. But in terms of now, kind of, if that's the same question, 
I do the jobs that pay for me to do the things that I'm not earning money from, if that makes sense. But those things that I earn money from are still things that I'm not saying yes for the sake of saying yes. I'm saying yes to them because I really want to do them. Like I left Virgin because I knew that I was going to be creatively stifled because a new boss had come in and he'd kind of swiped the chess pieces off the board of all these kind of things that we'd built up. You know, I was asked to do that first and foremost by this brilliant guy called Liam Thompson who'd said, oh, I want you to do the breakfast show. We're going to relaunch Virgin. My first question was, who with? And he was like, no, 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 just you. And I was like, okay, well, what do you want the show to be? He went, well, I want the show to be what you want it to be. So I was able to build this show, which was an amazing opportunity with my producer, Mick, who was fantastic. You know, we had amazing live guests that came in and we had live music of new bands and existing bands and it was just this freedom in terms of live broadcasting that I'd never had but then this new boss came in and he kind of took everything out of the show that we'd built up and he sort of told us where he saw and I was like do you know what it's a great wage that I'm earning for this but nah I'm out because was that scary the thought of it was scary. The reality of it was utterly liberating and it's the best decision I've ever made. But I've been lucky because I was building up quite a lot of things. I think almost unconsciously, maybe I knew that I wasn't going to be doing that forever. I did it for almost two years. So when I did come out, I'd launched the podcast. So I knew I had that. And that was the thing that I wanted to focus all my energies on for the time being. But sometimes change is the best thing. It's the scariest thing, but it's the best thing. So it sounds to me like each decision has had this integral personal relationships as part of it, you know, and you're always referencing the the producer you had or the stylist you had. Yeah. And you obviously work with amazing people. Yeah, you know, it's so important. Kat Daly, Dermot O'Leary, yeah. you interview incredible people on your podcast. How has that formed your career and how important is that? I mean, good relationships are really important. And from, you know, when I said that when I was given the Radio 1 show my own, and film being the thing that we wanted the show to be a big part of it. From that point on, I started building up relationships with people in the film industry to build trust. So people knew what I was about and the type of person that they would potentially be bringing their guests in to be interviewed or to chat to. And that's been integral to how successful the podcast has been and being able to get those guests. I was doing a show on Six Music that was kind of similar to what I'm doing now, which was a show idea that I came up with for a strand on the show, which was called Screen Six. And then they would give me like really sporadic times to do it. So they'd give me, oh, you can have three shows in March to do it. And then you can have four shows in August to do it. And so I was like, okay, so started off doing that. And then I was going, I can do this every week. And they would go, it's a rotating slot. So we don't have the slot to give you every week. And so the kind of nail in the coffin for me was that I had four weeks planned in the diary and I'd already booked the guests for it. And they sort of came back and went, oh, you can only have three. So I then had to go back to the film company and pull an interview, which was horrendous. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to do it myself. And so that was the push that I needed to go and do it myself. And then it was approaching the film companies and going, right, I'm going to do this podcast. You know what I'm about. I need you to trust me. Can you give me someone X, Y, and Z, I really like them, you know, and I got John Favreau as my first interview to then get him in the bag and then to be able to go, everyone, okay, launching a podcast, we've already got John Favreau in the bag. Oh, okay. So it's about finding relationships, but making those relationships honest and truthful as well. Because my biggest kind of pet hate is when you're told what people think you want to hear. I hate that. And you can tell straight away 
when there's no sincerity to the emails or the conversations that you're having, it's kind of like, just be honest with me. If they don't want to do it, fine. I'd rather hear that than you kind of come up with some bollocks story about why I can't get time with someone. I'm not going to take it personal. All that stuff that I've been through allows me to do that where I can take no from other people much easier than I used to be. You're obviously very direct and all about honesty and openness. Mm -hmm. It's something that we really value as well. Were you always like that? No, not at all. I was always the kind of, it's funny, I, I overheard someone years ago at MTV, something, oh, just ask Eid, she'll do it. And I didn't want to be that person. Do you know what I mean? I wanted people to come to me and ask me to do stuff because they wanted me to do it, not because, oh yeah, she'll do it. It's quite a common female problem to be the person who will always yeah, do everything. Yeah. yeah, totally. My husband said that to me the other day where it was on Sunday and we had quite busy weekends with all the kids and all their extracurricular activities. You know, it's like football, one's at half nine, then we've got an hour in between, the next one's at half eleven, then our ten-year-old plays water polo. Tom wanted to go to the football, so I was like, right, you go to the football, take both kids to the water polo, Spike can sit and watch Rudy, it's fine. And then we had a friend whose kid had a three-year-old birthday, which was going to take another hour to get to after. And Tom's like, just say we can't go. It's all right. They won't mind. And so it's that kind of thing still where you're kind of going, you can't please everybody all the time. So as much as I say I'm not that person anymore, I still... But maybe is it easier for you in your professional life? To, to say, say no. Yeah, or to... that you've learned to say no. Maybe actually, yeah. I think it probably is. Almost less at stake. It was because just emotional you, attachment Because the way that you value, yeah. exactly, you value yeah. your success. Yeah. Just going back to the women, like Fenella said, you know, you've had these amazing relationships. You mentioned Joe Wiley and Sarah Cox and yeah. um, Zoe Ball, obviously, kind of at the top of the our chat. But I know that you've also been really vocal about a lack of equality across the genders. The BBC, you were at the BBC when the pay disparity came out. Yeah. What was it like being on the inside of that well, my gripes are not necessarily with on-air talent because I've been lucky enough that whilst I've been from coming through Radio 1 and also doing stuff at 6 Music and at 2 and at 5, there's always been women on-air. You know, when I was at Radio 1, Joe Wiley, Annie Nightingale, Annie Mack, all there kind of thing. Namone was there as well at the time. Coxie was there as well doing stuff in Fern. And so I've always seen quite a good representation of women on air and women who've had that equal billing, you know, even when like Fern and Reggie did the chart show sort of thing, that was equal billing. It wasn't Reggie and Fern as a sidekick, quite rightly so. But for me, it's more a case and my vocalness about it has been more with regards to behind the scenes and, and management. And I think that there's nothing behind the scenes that mirrors what goes on in front of the microphone, so to speak, and that you have this kind of quicker turnaround of on-air talent at Radio 1 than you do at other stations, but that's not the case behind the scenes. You have people who are in these jobs for years and they won't give them up. And women aren't getting enough opportunities or aren't in these higher places of management that they should be in. It's because the jobs don't come up that often. I know you've said in the past that you struggle to represent women equally on the podcast yeah, because yeah, yeah. there just aren't enough of them. Is there any way you can use your platform or your fame to kind of pipeline women into that? Is that That's something that I'm really focusing on with the podcast. And I think that's one of the many positive things about us not being a podcast that's come out of a radio show because that would have meant that we'd have very kind of streamlined goalposts on the guests that we could have on. But because I'm in charge, I'm booking the guests, I'm doing the research, I'm doing the interviews. You know, I can have Sarah Bridge, who's a young new music supervisor. I can have Thelma Schoonmaker on, who's just been awarded the BAFTA Fellowship. She's been Martin Scorsese's editor for the past 
50 years or whatever, 40 years. And then I can do as part of our live series that we're doing at the BFI, I can bring together three new upcoming female composers and really champion them. So that's my way of trying to kind of highlight not just women, but these women in these different roles. Writers, Abby Morgan, we've had on Theda Sharak as well, on as well, Sophia Coppola, you mentioned. It's really important for me to have these women on and these women have voices. It just takes a bit more time and a bit more effort to try and get time with them. And that's because, you know, I have to go through the official channels of getting time with people for certain films. And they're not always the ones who are offered up to chat to. I recently had Elizabeth Carlson on, who's an amazing woman who is, she's been a film producer for quite a few years. Colette is the most recent film that she worked on with Keira Knightley. She was produced Cara as well with Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. And she's such an inspiring story in terms of how she started, what she does and the stories that she tries to tell through the films that she makes. So yeah, it's a really conscious thing to try and get more on. I'm just thinking about, I suppose, not rarefied, but the different world that you're operating in compared to most people who are, you know, compared Mm. to us and compared to most people who are listening. So most people we have on the podcast have a career where you're listening and you think, okay, well, I can understand how you got into that and I can understand how I could be a part of that world listening to you it seems quite different because you know there's these huge names and these incredible creatives and people winning BAFTAs and winning Oscars and if somebody is sitting here listening to you and thinking oh my gosh you know I love film I love music I just want to be part of that world is it a world that is difficult to get into are there ways to do that yeah I mean it's much more accessible now than it was when I first started How did you get into it? Well, I went to uni in Edinburgh because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I did a course that covered a lot of different things, communication studies. So it was journalism, film studies, radio production, video production. And that was to kind of almost let me try out lots of different things. But whilst I was at uni, I hounded the local radio station to get work experience. So you've known from pretty early on that this was the sphere that you wanted to go into? I think unconsciously yeah I mean the radio side of thing felt like it incorporated so many things that I was enjoying as part of my course so music obviously has always been a big thing but editing and writing things there's lots of different things so I got work experience just basically you know being an intern and doing everything and anything making tea filing away cds and I just spent every spare minute I had there just being there you know without being asked to be there sort of thing and I grew up in a hotel. It was a family-run hotel. My mum's one of seven girls. And I grew up seeing women work hard. And I grew up seeing women absolutely achieving what they wanted to achieve. And so that was an amazingly healthy environment to grow up in. And women have an equal pegging across the board. You know, the hotel was pretty much run with an iron fist by my Aunt Elizabeth. And so that, I think, had a really big impact on me in terms of if you work hard and you set your mind on something, you can achieve it if you're willing to work hard. And so that kind of was in the back of my head at the radio station. And then when I graduated, by that point, I was doing a show on the station with a guy called Gavin Pearson, like a late night Friday night show. Were you daunted the first time you were behind the microphone? No, because it felt like I was just having a chat with this guy that, you know, we were both work experience kids and we started doing pilots and stuff together and, and they gave us a Friday night show. And so when I graduated, I went to... The head of the station was like, okay, what have you got? Can I get something full-time? They didn't have anything full-time. So I was like, okay, next thing. So I applied for loads of jobs, 
did a showreel, used my last student loan to make a showreel, and then got onto a graduate training scheme with EMAP Radio and lied in my interview because it was between me and one other person. And they were like, listen, we think you're great. We think you could do really well. But our concern is that, you know, you've got on-air experience. This is a job behind the scenes doing sponsorship promotions. We're concerned that you're using this as a way to, I was like, no, 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 never. <laughs> so that was my ticket to London. So I got down here on that. And then whilst I was here, I was sending my show reel out to everyone. Got loads of negative feedback about my accent saying, you need to go for elocution lessons. And I was like, fuck you. And then Christine Bohr was given the job of launching MTV UK and she wanted to represent the UK with accents. First person to ever do it, I think. And so that's where she employed myself and Kat and Donna Eyre and Coxie and June. And she did. She represented the UK not only with accents, but women with accents. And so, again, when I got in there, it was a case of, so you're doing, you know, the news bulletins, but it wasn't just a case of have your makeup done and go and sit in front of the camera. It was, you research the stories, you write the scripts, you do your own makeup, all that. My whole thing, I think, because that's the way that I do the podcast, it's like if you take ownership from something, then you learn along the way, you're picking up all these skills along the way. Now, if you want to do something, you've got a laptop and a microphone. That's all you need. You find something that you can be passionate about and that you can connect with people on, then you can do it. You don't need to wait for a radio station to do it or a TV station to do it. You know, you can launch your own YouTube channel. You can launch your own podcast. So for anyone who has got the kind of drive and the passion for doing something with film or music, then you absolutely can. Do you think the rise of podcasting is going to have an impact on traditional broadcasting as we know it? Definitely. I mean, you look at the fact that the BBC have just launched a podcast department and their whole BBC Sounds framework is totally set up in reaction to how big the podcasts were because they're catching up because they're almost slightly behind on it. In the States, it's a massive industry. It's so still it's taking money and talent, basically. I just think in terms of like podcasting is seen as a medium now in the States and here it feels like it's still catching up a bit and people are still kind of very driven by oh, here's someone famous doing a podcast type thing, you know, and it's like, those are fine, I think, in sort of small serial doses, but to kind of sustain, I mean, I I love hearing people's stories. So, you know, for research, I listen a lot to like Mark Maron's podcast, What the Fuck, because he's just someone who's a fan and interested in people, and I love the way that he interviews people because he's not kind of hiding behind anything. He's not got an agenda. You know, he asks stuff that I want to ask, that I want to hear the answers to. But I think if you've got a great idea, then you can absolutely have your own podcast or have your own YouTube or Facebook show. You know, there's nothing stopping you. You talked about America. I mean, I completely agree with you. We listen to a lot of American podcasts Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are made by podcast stations and they're really professional and Have you ever thought about going to America? Because lots of people we've worked with have. Yeah, no, definitely. It's funny, I did a show on BBC America a couple of years ago. The Britannia Awards are like a BAFTA award show that they do out there. And I did the red carpet show. It was brilliant. It was so much fun. But it was really interesting seeing how different they... I can see why, you know, American artists and people get a kind of a reputation for being not difficult, but kind of high maintenance because... I was a very small cog in this one show across there and 
I'm kind of quite self-sufficient, but it was like, I mean, they wanted to do everything apart from wipe my arse kind of thing. It was like, guys, I'm fine to walk down the road, you know. It was amazing. I got to borrow a dress from Burberry, which kind of was fitted and stuff. And they were like, oh, we'll send a driver to pick you. I went, guys, it's like half a mile up the road. It's a beautiful day. Can I just walk back to the hotel sort of thing? All that kind of stuff. It's like, frugal of you. Really, really, like, I will need to do everything for you. Like, you're mollycoddled, you're kind of cotton wool sort of thing. It's like, nah. I think that side I'd find kind of slightly difficult. But yeah, totally. Love to work in the States. There's loads of great things happening out there. So a lot of terrible shit happened out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's not to, go there. Yeah, but why not? Kind of just to end, really. I mean, everything sounds so energising and fun and interesting. I think you've converted us into wanting to move into your world. But, you know, there must be bad days. You oh, must have God, times yeah. when things, the shit hits the fan. For our kind of listeners, what would be your tips for dealing with times in your career? Big or small, when things don't go your way and how, like you've said, that you've grown a thicker skin, you've obviously become more resilient. What are your tips around that? I mean, listen, there's nothing wrong with allowing yourself to be upset and disappointed about things that don't go your way. I mean, end of last year, I heard about something that I thought I hadn't got and it really upset me. I was like in tears on the phone to my agent sort of thing because it was something that I really wanted. And it turns out I ended up doing it, which was great. But there's nothing wrong with feeling about things. You know, it's just making sure that you allow yourself space to do that. But then also then kind of finding a way of taking yourself out of it and going all right well that didn't happen move on to the next thing and for me I found that exercise is an amazing thing to help me through that we do Pilates at the same Edith and I, when Edith and I she was like I really recognize you that's because we do Pilates together in the same room twice a week I never, never <laughs> look at anyone in the eye though because like they're always like We're doing a plank sweaty. for 10 seconds longer than I can I can't do the side plank and the needle and the thread through thing but um I love sport. I've always loved sport and I love snowboarding and stuff like that. But exercise and going to the gym and stuff like that, I've never been that type of person. I've wanted to be or tried to force myself to be. But in the last couple of years, I've found a few things that really helped me, both in terms of I want to look nice. So I know that I need to exercise to kind of make sure I fit into things that I want to wear. But then I've also really appreciated the mental side, the help that physical exercise can give to my mental side and that's a run I mean and I only run like maximum of 5k can't do anymore get bored that's when I listen to my podcast when I run can't listen to music when I run no well I don't enjoy running and I do it with my husband now which is also really nice I mean he's way ahead of me and he stops a lot and jogs on the spot while I'm catching up but he doesn't listen to podcasts I listen to a podcast and he just slightly waves at me but But there is someone that you want to yeah Yeah. it's weird because I was up in Scotland last week and my nephew who just turned 16 I was like, do you want to go for a run tomorrow? Because I was feeling like I hadn't done anything in like days. And he was like, yeah, I normally never don't do anything on a Sunday morning. I don't get, you know, I was like, so we went out for this like 3K run just along the coast of my month. And it was brilliant. I actually did find it That's better. boring. <laughs> but I kind of wanted to keep, you know, he's 16. He could run to bloody Edinburgh. It was like, I felt like I needed to keep up. Yeah, I might try that actually. That's a really good shout. But music, I find myself thinking I'm in like, a music video and I'll end up like dancing rather than kind of running something. It's like, I am that person on Hampstead Heath. But running, Pilates and yoga as well. And I don't get to do them as often. In an ideal world, I'd do like two Pilates classes a week, a couple of runs and a yoga class. The reality of it, that would be amazing. That would be the dream. Do you know what I mean? But the reality of it is maybe I run a yoga class or Pilates once a week. But I walk a lot. I walked 14 kilometres yesterday from doing the school run and then I had a meeting in King's Cross and I had an hour to get there and I went, I'm going to walk. 
So I walked from Hampstead down onto the canal and round. And then I got home and then checked on my little things like, you've walked 14k today. We are big advocates of getting outside, definitely yeah. away from your computer. Totally. It's like the piece of advice. I mean, people always ask us, you know, what's your one piece of advice to keep staying sane? It is agreed, like exercise and also just getting up and going outside. And look especially up, especially look around, take stuff in. I'm that person on the tube that tries to make eye contact with people to like get them a smile because everyone's so grumpy on the tube. So I was listening to... Um, but don't they just think, oh my God, it's Edith Bowman. <laughs> no, they just kind of either like to move seat or like, <laughs> or kind of like give me the total evil sort of thing. You know, I struggle with being a mum on a regular occasion thinking I've made the wrong decision or I've just shouted at my kid. Being a parent is a learning experience on an hourly basis. We've both got 10-year-olds and I think Same. I was saying to somebody the other day, I mean, I felt kind of equipped to parent a child, but I don't feel equipped to parent this preteen that's emerging in my house yeah and it's, it's really hard totally it's really hard and that's another thing is like ask for help I'm terrible at it my mates will tell you they're like just ask for help it's that kind of thing of like no no I can do it I can do it there's nothing wrong with asking for help but there's also nothing wrong with allowing yourself to fail because by failing you learn and you become a kind of better person I think well, that's very on brand for us. So thank you for ending on a very step up note. And, we didn't um, practice, we promised. No, we didn't. And thank you, Edith. Thanks for, for having being me. So thank open you. and interesting. Thank you. Cheers for having me. Thank you. If you enjoyed the podcast and it sparked some thoughts about your success, please don't forget to leave us a review wherever you're listening. Again, all the information is in the show notes. Don't forget to head to stepupclub.co to find out more about how Step Up School could help you achieve your career dreams. See you next week, same time, same place. We've got plenty of incredible women, each with her own definition of success up our sleeves.